Welcome to the Qalam Institute Podcast. You're listening to Lives of the Prophets by Mufti Hussein Kamani. Imagine spending two weeks, every day, morning and evening, with the Prophet That's the vision behind Sirah Intensive. Every year, over a hundred people from all over the world come together to spend two weeks immersed in learning about the life and character of the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad wasallam. Sign up and get more information at sirahintensive.com. That's S-E-E-R-A-H intensive.com. So people now begin to live in this area and they begin to settle in there. And these are the people that then Ismail grows up in. Ismail grows up with them. And which language do these people speak? Arabic. So Ismail also learns Arabi as well. But when Ismail learns it, he begins to speak the language better than they did. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through revelation, through inspiration, teaches him the purest form of the Arabic language. In Ismail salam, that's why at times he is also known as Abu al-Arab. They also refer to him as the father of the Arabs because of his eloquence in the language and the things that he contributed. Now as I mentioned earlier, Ibrahim salam would regularly come to visit his son and his wife. On one of the visits while Ibrahim salam was visit- visiting them, he saw a dream. And in his dream, he saw that he was sacrificing his son, Ismail. He saw the dream once, the next night he saw it, again. The third night he saw it, again. Three nights straight. Now we all know, the dream of a prophet is also a form of wahi, it's a form of revelation. This is a command of Allah. So Ibrahim now has to fulfill this command of Allah. He approaches his son and shares the dream with him. Now before I move any forward, the question is, which son did Ibrahim approach? Which son was involved in the story of the sacrifice? This is a huge dispute, in particular between the Muslims and the, the Jewish community, right? the Jews. A huge dispute amongst them, huge dispute. They are gung-ho and very solid and firm in saying who was the Dhabihullah? Ishaq salam, right? And the Muslims say, no, who was it? It was Ismail salam. And then it happens to be there are also some Muslim scholars who also hold the opinion that it was Ishaq salam. There are some narrations that even indicate that there were some Sahaba who also had this opinion. There were also some Sahaba who had the opinion that it was Ishaq salam. This is a very detailed, lengthy discussion. Imam Ibn Kathir in his tafsir makes a brief reference to it under the ayah فَبَشَّرْنَاهُ بِغُلَامٍ حَلِيمٍ which is in Surah Safat. Under this he says, وَقَدْ ذَهَبَ جَمَاعَةٌ مِّنْ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ إِلَىٰ أَنَّ الذَّبِيحَ هُوَ إِسْحَاقٍ Ibn Kathir says that a group of scholars, and they are from Ahlul Ilm. What does Ahlul Ilm mean? Just because they hold another opinion, he doesn't say they're deviant. That's something we do, not him. You know, people, of scholar, people of knowledge don't do that. We do that. If someone comes up with another opinion that the majority don't agree with, what do we say? He said, pictures are haram, that guy is going to Jahannam. He's been hired by the Yahud. He's on the payroll of FBI. You know, that's the kind of stuff we say when someone comes up with an opinion that we don't agree with, okay? But these people, they had some, some, some adab. And here Ibn Kathir, and this is a big issue by the way, who was a dhabih, if you think about it, from a hadith standpoint and also from the Quranic standpoint, this is a major issue. But here when Ibn Kathir addresses them, he says, وَقَدْ ذَهَبَ جَمَاعَةٌ مِّنْ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ and a people from a group of 
uh, scholars, people of ilm, they go to the opinion that the one that was sacrificed was um, Ishaq. وَحُكِيَ ذَلِكَ عَنْ طَائِفَةٍ مِّنَ السَّلَفِ And there are scholars from the earlier generation who held this opinion. وَحَتَّى نُقِلَ عَنْ بَعْضِ الصَّحَابَةِ أَيْضًا Until the point that um, some sahaba also held the opinion that the, that the dhabih, the one who was sacrificed was um, Ishaq alayhi salam. However, after stating this, Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi alayhi himself says, وَلَيْسَ ذَلِكَ فِي كِتَابٍ وَلَا سُنَّةٍ Even though they hold this opinion, they cannot support it explicitly from the Qur'an or from the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَمَا أَظُنُّ ذَلِكَ تُلْقَى إِلَّا عَنْ أَحْبَارِ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ He said, my opinion is the, the place where this opinion originates amongst them is possibly from the converts or the reverts from the people of the books. When the Jews, when the, when the Christians, when they accepted Islam, even in the earlier generation, they came with this opinion that they always grew up, and therefore they, they taught this opinion amongst the people, and that's where it's possible. Ibn Kathir is saying, if I'm trying to find the origin or the source of where this opinion comes, he says, there it is, and they accepted it because they trusted those people, without any solid reference or proof. And then Ibn Kathir says, وَهَذَا الْغُلَامُ هُوَ إِسْمَعِيلَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ This child is none other than the one that was sacrificed. It was Ismail alayhi salam. And at that time he was, again, if you remember the ayah, فَلَمَّا بَلَغَ مَعَهُ السَّعِيَ He reached Sa'i when this incident happened. Therefore he's 13 or 14 years old when this incident happens. وَإِنَّهُ أَوَّلُ وَلَدٍ بُشِّرَ بِهِ إِبْرَاهِيمِ He is the first child which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed Ibrahim alayhi salam with. وَهُوَ أَكْبَرُ مِنْ إِسْحَاقِ بِإِتِّفَاقِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَأَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ And Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi alayhi says, the people of the book and the Muslims agree that Ismail alayhi salam was older than Ishaq alayhi salam. Um, and then after that he continues on providing references and proofs that it was actually, um, uh, that it was Ismail alayhi salam. The reason why this becomes a little complicated is because you know the verses that tell us the story of the sacrifice, especially the verses in Surah Safat, which kind of really uh, vividly, very clearly bring out the verses. There's no mention of Ismail name there. It's all in personal pronouns. So I'll read the passage to you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Ibrahim made dua to Allah, Rabbi habli min salihin Ibrahim's dua wasn't, Oh Allah, give me a child by the way. That's not the dua Ibrahim made. What was his dua? Oh Allah, give me from the pious. Oh Allah, Rabbi habli min salihin Oh Allah, give me a child from the pious. Not just a child. فَبَشَّرْنَاهُ بِغُلَامٍ Halim. So we gave him a child who was forbearant. Why is he forbearing? Because the story that's going to happen soon. فَلَمَّا بَلَغَ مَعَهُ السَّعْيَ And when he reached the age of maturity, قَالَ يَا بُنَيَّ He said, Oh my son. Did he say which son he's speaking to here? There's no mention. We as Muslims, because of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, say that it was Ismail alayhi salam. يَا بُنَيَّ إِنِّي أَرَى فِي الْمَنَامِ أَنِّي أَذْبَحُكَ فَانْظُرْ مَاذَا تَرَى قَالَ يَا أَبَ تِفْعَلْ مَا تُؤْمَرْ سَتَجِدُنِي إِن شَاءَ اللَّهُ مِنَ الصَّابِرِينَ فَلَمَّا أَسْلَمَا وَتَلَّهُ لِلْجَبِينَ وَنَادَيْنَاهُ أَنْ يَا إِبْرَاهِيمُ قَدْ صَدَّقْتَ الرُّؤْيَا إِنَّا كَذَلِكَ نَجْزِي الْمُحْسِنِينَ إِنَّ هَذَا لَهُوَ الْبَلَاءُ الْمُبِينَ وَفَدَيْنَاهُ بِذِبْحٍ عَظِيمٍ وَتَرَكْنَا عَلَيْهِ فِي الْآخِرِينَ سَلَامٌ عَلَى إِبْرَاهِيمَ كَذَلِكَ نَجْزِي الْمُحْسِنِينَ إِنَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Now I didn't just read these verses because I know how to read the Quran there's a reason okay It's because the Jewish scholars, when they say that Ishaq was the one who was sacrificed, they actually make reference to this passage, and in particular the next verse. Because the next verse says, وَبَشَّرْنَاهُ بِإِسْحَاقَ نَبِيًّا مِّنَ الصَّالِحِينَ 
and we blessed him with Ishaq, a prophet from the righteous. They say that what dua did Ibrahim originally make? Rabbi Habli Minas Salihin. Ibrahim asked for a pious child. Allah blessed him a pious child. However, Allah mentioned that after the story. But they're saying these two verses, there is an atf, there is a, uh, there is a connection between the two. We say that there is no such principle in the Arabic language. That you, meant, you start off the sentence, you then bring in a whole story, and then finish off the sentence at the end of it. You guys understand? What they're saying, just to make it clear for you, what they're saying is this. Zayd came into the home and he sat down. You guys understand that? What did I say? Zayd came into the home and he sat down. Zayd came into the home. And then I share a whole story with you. And then two hours later I say, and he sat down. Linguistically, you can't disconnect these two. Because they are separated by chapters, passages, a whole incident in the middle. What, however, what they're doing is something that's not commonly practiced, not commonly, it's not something that's practiced in the Arabic language. So anyway, um, all that aside, I thought I would share some detail of this issue with you, because it's something that's common. I'll share two more references before I close off. The first narration that I want to share with you is a narration that's uh, quoted by Imam Hakim rahmatullahi alayhi in his mustadrak. Abdullah ibn Sa'ad as-Sabihi, he says that we were um, with Muawiyah radiallahu anhu, and people started, studying, started discussing the story of the sacrifice. And there were some of them who held the opinion that it was Ismail alayhi salam, while others held the opinion it was Ishaq alayhi salam. So Muawiyah radiallahu anhu said that I will share with you a story which clears the issue. And he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was one day uh, with the people and a Bedouin came. And from behind, he said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, "Yabnat dhabihatain." What did he say? Yabnat dhabihatain, which means, "O son of the two people who were sacrificed." And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, when he turned around, he didn't say, "You're wrong. That was my uncle Ishaq, not Ismail." He smiled at him, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he approved of being called Yabnat dhabihatain. And the reason why this is a proof is because who are the two fathers that he's referring to here? Ismail and Abdullah. His father Abdullah was almost sacrificed too. Allah came through and saved him there. And his great 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 grandfather Ismail was also almost sacrificed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him there. If it was Ishaq this statement would have been incorrect. The Prophet would have reprimanded him for sharing a false story from history. The Prophet would have said that's wrong and this is the correct version of it. Um, There are other narrations as well, but just leave, let's leave it at that. Let's just um, quote that there and leave it there. Now, when Ibrahim salam is taking his son, Ismail salam for the sacrifice, he tells his son, Oh my son, I saw a dream that I was sacrificing you. What is your opinion? Ismail salam says to his father, Oh my father, do as you seem suitable. Whatever you wish, do it. This is a very important lesson that we learn. One of the most powerful lessons we learn here is that when you have to make a big decision that involves someone else, don't be the one who says it. Feed the idea and let them make the decision. You want your child to do medicine in college, that's completely okay. However, don't go to them and say that you're going to be a doctor, because you're forcing it on them. Rather, what you do is you mention what it is that makes that particular profession desirable, and then you say, what's your opinion? Ultimately, let them make their decisions. You know, parents believe that the success of parenting is to have an obedient child. 
That's not true. Because obedience can stem from different means, different sources. Someone can be obedient out of taw'an or karhan. A person can be obedient because they're forced, because if, they don't be, if they're not obedient, they'll get the slap on the face. Or another person could be obedient because that's what they want to do. Uh, if you're making people obey you because they're scared of you, they're terrified of you, if your children say yes to everything you say because you're going to shout at them, scream at them, or you're going to stop talking to them, then at the end of the day, that's not going to help them in any way. You haven't grown them, you haven't developed them in any way at all. You've actually harmed the child in many ways. Right? And after the parent leaves, what happens to those children then? Right? They, they completely rebel. You go look at kids who have been kept at home and protected their, their entire lives and parents haven't communicated why they're doing what they're doing and they just continue imposing and imposing and imposing. Once those children go to college or once they grow out of that protection of their parents, what happens to those kids? Complete wreck. Complete wreck. And there are no lack of stories. Each person sitting here has probably seen this not once but in 10 of their friends if you're not one of those people yourself. Okay, so this is a huge thing right here, a huge lesson that we learn. Ibrahim takes the higher ground of parenting, which is he teaches his children how to make the right decision. So he is more of a coach. That's what a parent needs to view themselves as. You're the coach. You need to be there to guide them, give them the right mindset. And how does Ismail make this decision at 14? Because Ibrahim coached him right in the earlier stages of his life. That's why it's important to know that by 14, Ibrahim has this kid ready. By that age, Ibrahim has encouraged him, motivated him, talked to him, prepared his mind. So at such a young age, at 14, he made such a wise decision. And what's the decision he makes? He doesn't just say, Dad, do it. Is that what he said? Yes or no? No. He says, Oh my dad, do what you have been commanded and what you think is suitable. Now that is what you call parenting at perfection. The parent has constantly shown sincerity for his, to his child, guided the child to make the right decision, and the child now, after 14 years of dealing with the parent, respects the father's advice and knows how his father always makes the best decision for him, that what does the, parent, what does the child say to the dad? That dad, I don't need to make this decision, I'm more than happy with you making the decision. My son, I want you to marry so and so. Oh heck, no that's not happening. That's one possibility. I want you to marry so-and-so, dad, I'll think about it. I'm going to do istikhara, in quotations, okay? <laughs> you know that istikhara is, right? Half the times people abuse istikhara. A guy will go and tell his, uh, his dad, that dad, I, wanna, I like this girl, I want to marry her. And then dad says no, and he says, dad, just come on, think about it. And then the mom or some uncle or aunt will miraculously see a dream. Have you guys heard that story before? Someone in the family, some uncle, it's always someone older who was already on the camp that was against the marriage, sees a dream. And that dream is now divine, and many cultures also given the rank of revelation, and dare you not cross that revelation, otherwise you will be doomed for eternity. <laughs> there is a huge misunderstanding of the, fu the function of istikhara, by the way. Istikhara is not a sledgehammer that's going to smash your head into a hundred, it's a dua. It's a dua, you have, it's, it's, a, it's a supplication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once you've supplicated to Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always guide you to what's, be, to what's best. So now he trusts his father so much, it's kind of like this ultimate, pure sinker, sink between the father and son. The father wants something, he tells his son, the son trusts his dad so much, he says, dad, you do it. And the fa father says, no, you. And the dad says, you know, like they both know that they trust each other so much, right? This is what you call 
an amazing, perfect relationship between father and son. And he says to his dad, Satajiduni insha'Allah min sabirin Oh my dad, you've taught me the lesson of patience. You will find me to be a patient, a, per, a, a, a patient child. Ibrahim alayhi salam then takes his son and the narration, there are a couple of narrations uh, Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi alayhi quotes under the tafsir of these verses, Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi alayhi quotes one narration in which uh, that, that when Ibrahim alayhi salam is taking his son for the sacrifice, shaitan comes to the mother and says to the mother, do you know where your husband is going? And the mother said, he is going to fulfill some need of his. Maybe there's, he's taking my son to go and take care of something he needs. He's gone to take care of some of his needs. Um, Shaitan said, he's not going to, to, to buy some groceries. He's taking him to sacrifice him. And she said, why would he do that? And Shaitan says, He thinks that his Lord has commanded him. Right? He's doubting the revelation. Shaitan is he's telling, and he's trying to put doubt in the wife's heart. That he thinks that his Lord told him. And now, in normal circumstances, what would the wife do? That guy's crazy. <laughs> Go after her husband. But here, the wife, what does she say? She says, فَقَدْ أَحْسَرَ أَن يُطِيعَ رَبَّهُ If his Lord has commanded him, then he has done very good that he is obeying the command of his Lord. When shaitan filled with the mother, he said, okay, let me go, talk, let me go try with the child. He then went to the child and said to the child that, أَيْنَ يَذْهَبُ بِكَ abuka? Where is your father taking you? He said, لِبَعْدِ حَاجَتِهِ For something that he needs. So he said that he's taking you to sacrifice you and he thinks his Lord has commanded. And then um, the son said, فَوَاللَّهِ لَإِن كَانَ اللَّهُ أَمَرَهُ بِذَلِكَ لَيَفْعَلَنَّا And if Allah, ha- I swear by Allah, if Allah gave him the command, he will do it and I will be with him while he does it. Meaning that that's no problem. If Allah has commanded him, as abs- uh, absurd as this sounds, we're going to go through with it. And then, then, then shaitan comes to Ibrahim alayhi salam and he says, where are you taking your, lo- your child? He said, for something I need to take care of. He said, you're going, you're going to sacrifice him because of something that you think is a command of your Lord, but in reality, it was just a nightmare. Imagine shaitan messing with you at this time. You've already come to terms with what you're doing. And you're going, and shaitan starts putting doubts in. Are you sure marijuana is haram? Are you sure? Are you like definite music's haram? Because there may be someone who says marijuana is halal. No man, nobody's gonna say marijuana is halal. Why don't you check Google? Okay, that's not a bad idea. I mean, if someone said it and it's on Google, that's gotta be legit, right? <laughs> there was one person who sent me, who asked me a question. I forgot what the question was. And I said, this is absurd. Where did you hear this? And, oh yeah, I remember what it was. They said that, um, the pers- it was this last weekend in San Antonio, someone came to me and said that, um, that I've heard that all sorts of cheese are haram. I said, that's absurd. Where did you hear that? So <laughs> the sister said it was on Google. So I said, I will give you the and- answer under one condition. I'll give you the answer under one condition. She said, what's the condition? I said, the condition is, you must take an oath by Allah, you will never search for a fatwa there ever again. <laughs> if you agree on that, then we have, a, we have a, an agreement. Then I can share my answer with you. If you disagree, if you don't agree, then you know what? Just go destroy your life. Right? Go on one of those websites you know, and, and knock yourself out. Consume all the jahala that you want to and enjoy it. She said, where am I going to get my knowledge from? I said, look, you have so many shiyukh in your community. What's wrong with reaching out to them and getting knowledge from them directly? Why do you want to go online? Someone said, and where did you hear that? It was on WhatsApp. 
WhatsApp is catching up with Google, by the way, right? It's becoming a huge re reference point for hadith and for fiqh and all sorts of absurdity. So here he's putting doubts in Ibrahim salam's mind. But Ibrahim salam, look at his resolve. He says, if this is the command of Allah, I will continue with it and nothing will stop me at all. Um, they continue on until they reach a place. There's another narration that tells us that while they were going, shaitan then came a second time. And he said he tried to stop Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam, he, uh, he took seven stones. That when he came the second time, when first shaitan came, and Ibrahim picked up seven stones and he, 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 he cast the seven stones at shaitan, and shaitan then disappeared, and then came a second time, and then came a third time, and this is a practice that we perform during the Hajj as well. And then finally when Ibrahim reaches the place where he's going to sacrifice his son, he says to his son, and the Qur'an says, What's the word used in the Qur'an? Ibrahim said to his son, that, oh my son, I would appreciate if you lie facing downwards. And Ismail said, why? And Ibrahim said, the reason is because I cannot look into your eyes while I'm doing this. So before he turned around, um, Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi alayhi, he quotes an narration from Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal rahmatullahi alayhi, that um, from Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal rahmatullahi alayhi, that Ismail alayhi was wearing a qamisun abiyad, he was wearing a white shirt. What color was the shirt? shirt? He was wearing a white shirt. And Ibrahim alayhi, and he said to his father, فَقَالَ لَهُ يَا أَبَتِي إِنَّهُ لَيْسَ لِي ثَوْبًا تُكَفِّنُنِي فِيهِ غَيْرُهُ Oh my father, I do not own, we do not own a garment which you can shroud me in other than the one I'm wearing. So how about I take it off so you can shroud me in it after you're done? Ibrahim said, okay, let's take it off. And then Ibrahim is ready to sacrifice his son. And right when he's getting ready to sacrifice his son, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ibrahim. A sound comes. Allah says, we called on Ibrahim Tears, emotion, overflowing. Imagine the difficulty that Ibrahim is experiencing at this moment. No historian will ever be able to tell you. No tongue can ever express it. Right when he's at that moment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Stop! But not stop. Allah says, Qad Ibrahim, you fulfilled your dream. And now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then sends in the place a ram, and the ram comes, and Ibrahim alayhi salam sacrifices the animal, and this also becomes the, uh, the, a part of the hajj that we perform when we go. And not only the hajj, but throughout the Muslim world, uh, when the day of Eid al-Adha comes, Muslim sacrifice, to remind ourselves of the sacrifice that Ibrahim alayhi salam made. Sacrificing the family, sacrificing one's own self for the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ismail alayhi salam then grows up with the people. Coming back to the narration of Bukhari. Ismail alayhi salam grows up with the people. He learns Arabic, the, Arabic with the people. And then from the people of Jurhum, from the same tribe that now settled in Arabia, he marries in them. He marries in them. After he marries, وَمَاتَتْ أُمُّ إِسْمَعِيلِ During this period, Ismail salam's mother also passes away. She passes away. And she was buried near the Kaaba. Near the Kaaba. Some scholars hold the opinion that you know the Hatim, the semicircle that's not a part of the current day Kaaba, which is considered to be a part of the Kaaba, that's where she's buried. And that's also where Ismail salam is buried. That's a common opinion amongst the scholars that that's where their actual graves were. 
after she Ismail is married, his mother passes away. Ibrahim comes to visit him every now and then. There's an incident that once, and again in, in Bukhari, that Ibrahim came to visit his um, son Ismail after he got married. When he knocked on the door to, came, to come and visit, he found that the wife was there, but Ismail was not home. The wife opens the door, she sees this old man with a white beard. Ibrahim was the first person to have white hair. So she sees this man with a big white beard standing in front of her. And um, he says to her, is your husband here? She says, no, he's gone outside. خَرَجَ يَبْتَغِي لَنَا He's gone to earn for us. ثُمَّ سَأَلَهَا عَنْ عَيْشِهِمْ وَهَيْأَتِهِمْ He then asked, how is your life and how are things going? Uh, she said, that, you know what? فِي ذِيقٍ وَشِدَّةٍ وَشَكَتْ إِلَيْهِ She said, we're living a tough life. You know, times are hard, things aren't so easy. And she started complaining to Ibrahim So when Ibrahim was leaving, he said to her, فَإِذَا جَاءَ زَوْجُكَ أَقْرِئِي عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ that when your husband comes home, let him know that I gave salam to him. وَقُولِ لَهُ And say to him, يُغَيِّرُ عَتَبَةَ بَابِهِ That he should change the frame of his door. And he left. فَلَمَّا جَاءَ إِسْمَعِيلِ When Ismail السلام, came home, the wife told him, Hey, you know, some old guy came when we were talking, and he said that you need to change your door frame for some reason. So Ibrahim السلام, Ismail السلام, he said, نَعَمْ he, he said, yes, that's correct. Na'am amarani. He said, yes, that's correct. This is a command from my father, and he is ordering me to change my door frame, which means to change you. Falhiq <laughs> bi-ahlik He said, go and join your family. I divorce you. Okay. Now someone can argue and say that Ismail divorced his wife at the command of his father. Is that something that should be done? Can a child divorce his wife at the command of his father? This is something that's debated. There are narrations that you can find in Tirmidhi regarding this. So the scholars say yes, and they also say no. It depends on the situation, it depends on the scenario. Um, here Ismail wasn't able to provide for his family properly. Because he was struggling. The guy was financial. He was trying. Had he been home and she said to him that my husband's sitting at home and he's not going anywhere and he's not earning, the father would have got angry at the son. But here, Ismail is actually out there. He's earning, he's working very hard, he's trying to provide for his family, but even then his wife was not content. So therefore, Ibrahim is telling his wife, telling his son that you need to have someone with you who is patient to live with you, understanding your financial circumstances. Otherwise, if you continue on with this, you're newly married right now, if you continue on with this, your marriage is going to destroy you, and it's going to destroy her too. And he's giving her this advice. And Ismail always knew, and as I said earlier, and I'm going to say it again, Ismail always knew his father would never advise him of something that wasn't best for him, without any other reason at all. Ibrahim didn't tell him because he didn't like the girl, or because she wasn't the daughter of his cousin, or the daughter of his brother. The reason why he's saying no is because he understands his son, his son's a prophet, there's only so much he can provide, and you have a choice to stay or leave. And a similar command comes in the Qur'an. A similar command also comes in the... You're probably thinking, what am I talking about? Allah told the Prophet the same thing. There was a time in the Prophet's life, where the wives of the Prophet came to him and they started complaining. They said they wanted more, uh, they wanted more uh, allowance. 
The Prophet ﷺ was unable to provide more. He was a prophet of Allah. He couldn't provide the high life they wanted. Just like Ismail ﷺ's wife here wanted so much and he couldn't provide it because he was a prophet and whatever other natural constraints he had. So what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell the Prophet ﷺ? He gave him the same advice Ibrahim gave to Ismail ﷺ. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya Nisa and Nabi Lastunaka Ahadim Min and Nisa actually before that. He says to them, Fataalaina Umatya Kunna wa Usabdi Kunna Salah and Jamila wa in Kuntuna to Ridna Allaha wa Rasulahu wa Dar al Akhira fa in Allah Adil Muhsanati min kunna ajana Adima. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Say O Muhammad to them that if it's your if it's my money, that's all you want. If you're just if you're a gold digger and that's all you want is my money, and I'm not saying this to the wives of the Prophet, I'm saying this in a more general context because many people are struggling in their marriages for this same issue. Making it very clear, I did not use that word regarding the wives of the Prophet. Just a general statement. Many people, they're married and all their, their spouse wants from them. And this can go the other way around too. Sometimes a husband is marrying the wife for, for what purpose? I'm just going to sit on the couch and enjoy the money. Let the honey flow in and enjoy it. That's why I'm sitting there. And that's all they want. The whole thing is about money. And sometimes the wives, the only thing they want from their husband is... I want you to pay for this, and I want you to pay for that, and I want you to pay for this. And they're squeezing every dime and nickel out of that person. The person who once married that person as being very wealthy, now has none of it. Now, I, I want to make another thing clear. There's nothing wrong with spending on your spouse. But as long as you have the ability, and it's from your own will. We know um, Khadija radiallahu anha, she was a wealthy lady. She spent abundantly on the Prophet sallallahu But was she forced to do so? No. And she had the ability, she wanted to, she did it. There's nothing wrong with that. You have money, you want to spend on your spouse, go knock yourself out. Do whatever you want, as long as it's halal. Okay? But here we're talking about a scenario where a person does not have the financial ability. They're trying, they're struggling, but they can't live with it. Allah tells the Prophet, if your wives can be patient, they'll find Jannah for their patience. But if they cannot be patient, Allah is telling the Prophet and they continue to ask for more, then give them whatever you have, and then release them from your marriage. Allah is telling the Prophet, that you will then release them from their marriage if they continue on like this. And that's when the wives of the Prophet ﷺ understand that this is a command of Allah, and they chose to be patient, and they were our mothers. May Allah have mercy on them for the patience that they went through. So similarly here, Ibrahim ﷺ tells um, his son to change the frame, and he, changes his, he then divorces her. He then marries a second time, and this time Ibrahim ﷺ comes again, and he knocks on the door. He asks the lady that, that opens the door, is your husband here? She says, no. Ibrahim salam says, how is he? Describe your husband to me. So this time, the lady, she describes, uh, she describes him with a very beautiful way. She says, نَحْنُ بِخَيْرٍ وَسَعَةٍ That we're good, everything's taken care of, we're enjoying the luxury life. Even though it was the same house, same paycheck, same husband. And Ibrahim salam then said, um, What are you guys eating these days? She said, اللَّحْمُ فَمَا شَرَابُكُمْ الْمَاءُ he said, what are you guys eating these days? She said, we're eating meat. That's just good, mashallah, right? We're enjoying the high life. And what are you guys drinking these days? We're drinking water. So Ibrahim alayhi salam made dua, Allahumma barik lahum fil lahmi wal ma'u Allah, give barakah in their wealth and in their water. And then after that, um, Ibrahim alayhi salam, before he leaves, he says to her that give your husband my salam and tell him that he should maintain this this door frame that he has. The frame here, this is a great one. Yuthabbit atabata babihi. Keep the same uh, door frame. And then when her husband comes home, she tells him the full story. And Ismail is very happy. And he keeps her in, in, in his marriage. We have um, a few more issues to discuss, but I'm thinking whether we should continue them now. 
Let's just spend 10 more minutes, I know we're over time, and let's just finish off this discussion. So that way we can begin with Ismail alayhi salam, and inshallah next week we'll do the story of Ishaq alayhi salam, inshallah. The last thing I want to discuss is the building of the Kaaba. Ibrahim alayhi salam then comes to Makkah Mukarramah, and he begins to build the Kaaba at the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I've discussed this before, but I'll briefly go over it again. Who was the first person to build the Kaaba? The scholars different opinion. Ibn Kathir rahmatullahi alayhi quotes that from um, Abu Ja'far al-Baqir, um, and then he also quotes from, uh, also stated by Imam Qurtubi rahmatullahi alayhi, and many others, that the first group to build the Kaaba were the angels. And then he says the second opinion regarding this is that it was Adam alayhi salam. And this is narrated by Ibn Juraj, Sa'at, Sa'id bin Musayyib, and also by Abdul Razak and others, that it was Adam alayhi salam who was the first person to um, build the Kaaba. And not only that, but they say that when Adam alayhi salam built the Kaaba, he gathered the material to build the Kaaba from five mountains. The mountain on which today the cave of Hira is, Tur Sina, the Tur Zayta, the Jabal al-Lebanan and Jabal al-Judi. These are the five mountains from which he gathers the material to build the Kaaba. You can find all of this in Imam Ibn Kathir alayhi's tafsir. And then the third opinion is, and this opinion is narrated by um, Ibn Abbas radiallahu an, by Qatada Wahb bin Munabbih, that the first person to build the Kaaba was Sheith alayhi salam. We discussed all of this when we were talking about Adam alayhi salam, so I won't go over all the details again. They build the Kaaba together. Ismail alayhi salam provides the material. Ismail Ibrahim alayhi salam he reaches and puts the, um, the the stones as he was given the the blueprint by Allah subhanahu wa taala. The exact command where to put it. He's putting it there as he was commanded by Allah subhanahu wa taala. And then a point comes where the blueprint tells him to continue building higher, but his arm doesn't reach higher than that. So Allah subhanahu wa taala sends him an elevator. And the elevator comes from Jannah, it's a stone. He stands on top of it, and it moves up and down. And this is another lesson for us. Sometimes you just do your best, even though your goals are beyond you, once you finish off doing what you can, then Allah will lift you through miraculous means to finish off what He has decreed. You guys understand that? Allah will use miraculous means to finish off what He has decreed. And that stone that He stood on, what do we know it as today? Maqam Ibrahim. The station of Ibrahim salam, he stood on there and it elevated him and brought him down as he continued putting it there. And today we continue to face towards this Kaaba in our salah as a direction of Qibla five times a day to remind us of the lesson of the oneness of Allah. To remind us of the sacrifice of the father and son, Ibrahim salam. To remind us of everything the Prophet went through to remove the, the kufr and the shirk that came into the Kaaba after Ibrahim salam left. There's such a history that belongs to that Kaaba. And every time we face with that Kaaba, we should remember all of those sacrifices that were made and everything that was done for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now we stand in front of Allah, Allahu Akbar. These next two moments of my life, two minutes of my life, these next four rakat, the two rakat that I'm going to read, Ya Allah, I'm also going to try to devote with the same attention that Ibrahim salam devoted himself with. And the same attention that all the prophets that came before, and the Prophet wasallam also devoted. After they finish off building the Kaaba, the Quran tells us the father and son stood in front of the Kaaba, and they make a beautiful dua to Allah, Rabbana, taqabbal minna. They perform the act, but they're not discontent. One thing is becoming hafidh, that's easy. It's hard, but in comparison to what I'm going to say next, that's the easier part. But after you become hafidh, now what do you need to do? Ask Allah to accept it from you. Because there are people who have memorized the Qur'an, and they are the worst example of human beings. As 
horrible as that sounds, I'm telling you a fact, a reality. We as a community need to stop denying it. Right? But then there are some people who have memorized the Qur'an, there are some people who have memorized the Hadith, some people who could read the Qur'an beautifully, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made them an example for, for the alameen. The world talks about them. The world benefits from them. A man came to me recently, I was traveling, um, and I was, he was driving me to a lecture that I had, and I said to him, what are you planning to do after you graduate? He said, I'm going to open up a YouTube channel. I said, oh, that's your career plan? Well, I'm not saying you can't do it, but what are you going to do on YouTube that's going to make so much money that... He said, well, Allah has blessed me with a beautiful voice, and I'm going to read the Qur'an for everyone. Right? And hopefully I'll monetize the videos, I'll get a lot of views, and that'll be my source of income. So I said to this person that, um, I'd like for you to read some Qur'an for me. So we were in the car, he read some Qur'an. After he finished reading, I said, look, you have a good voice, you still got to figure out the tajweed part right now. So until you don't figure out your tajweed, don't open up that YouTube channel, please. I, these are my exact words to him. Right? And then after that, the second thing I said was, that when, you're, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses someone with a beautiful voice, that's one of the biggest tests you can have. The reason is because, in order to earn something that has, a, has value, you have to work for it. And in the process of trying to work for it, you learn the value of it. But if someone is born with a beautiful voice, or is born with a billion dollars sitting in their account, are they going to have any value for it? They're not. And that same thing will then end up destroying them. That's why Imam Ghazali says, people who have beautiful voices are an open target for shaitan. He calls them Qurra al-Mura'een. These people show off with their voices. Because they have a nice voice and they had to do nothing for it at all. They were just given to them when they were born. They had a nice voice and compared to someone who doesn't have a nice voice. They stand in front of the crowd, read a surah, even though there may be no sincerity there at all. Because of the nice voice, people are attracted to them. And this person then becomes a celebrity, becomes known. Everyone's talking about this person. Someone who has absolutely no spiritual grounding, all of a sudden becomes a celebrity. What's going to happen to your faith in this process? It's going to crumble. It's going to destroy. It's going to bring you right down. And this is what Imam Ghazali says you have to be very, very careful of. When you have a good voice, when Allah gives you something, whether it's natural strength, some people are born strong naturally, right? I mean, Allah gives it to them. There are some people who are born with beauty. Whatever you have naturally gifted by Allah, be very careful not to abuse it. Have people in your life who can mentor you. I said to this brother, you want to open that channel? I'm not saying don't do it. But I'm saying before you do it, get a teacher who teaches you how to read the Qur'an with tartil, with tajweed. And secondly, have a mentor, a murabbi, a shaykh. Someone who watches over your spiritual grounding. Someone who's there to keep you in check. That hey, you know what? You know Mufti Taqi Uthmani, you guys heard of that name before? The guy was talented. I mean, he still is talented. He's a living scholar. I don't want to use the word, use the past tense, right? Talented person. His father, he became like a PhD when he was still in his teens probably. Okay? Not literally, but you know, in his 20s, he had already accomplished more than what people would accomplish in a lifetime, okay? When he's still 20. But when he graduated, after he's an alim, hafiz, mufti, masters, PhD, I think double, triple PhD, whatever he ended up doing by that time in his life, his father still didn't let him give even a single lecture. His father had prohibited him. His father had prohibited him until he turned 40 years old. For 20 years of his life, his father didn't give him, let him give a lecture. How many years did I say? 20 years of his life. He said to his son, you're not ready for what Allah is going to bless you with. And look at the man today, a legend. right? And his father, it's as if he has an insight that my son is going to be a legend, but in order for you to be able to handle everything Allah is going to give you, you can't give any lectures. Don't get in the public eye. Do your thing quiet and small. 
He's teaching him, you know, from that young age. So here Ibrahim salam, Ismail salam, they just built something that will be praised until the Day of Judgment. But they had the Qabiliyyah, now they need Qubuliyyah. They raise their hands and they say, Rabbana taqabbal minna, Oh Allah, accept from us. You build a masjid, just because it has a nice minaret doesn't mean it's accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rabbana taqabbal minna. Allah gave you a child, doesn't mean you're going to Jannah. Oh Allah, accept this child. You've made it to the masjid, Rabbana taqabbal minna. You've read your salah, after your salah, what dua should you read? Rabbana taqabbal minna. Oh Allah, accept. Oh Allah, accept. Oh Allah, accept. Innaka anta samiul alim. And then they pray that their progeny will be worshippers. They then pray for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and so on and so forth. Um, I want to close with um, one or two last points. Um, three last points I'm going to share, then I'll close off. Ismail salam was a great archer. He had a great aim. That person who if you gave him the ball can shoot the ball in from anywhere on the court. That was Ismail salam. He had amazing aim. There's a narration from Salma bin Aqwa radiallahu an. He says some people were competing in archery and the Prophet wasallam passed by them. Two groups of people were competing. They were playing. Two teams were playing. Right? The Lakers and the Bulls. They were playing against each other. The Prophet wasallam was walking past and he said to them that as you fire your arrows, aim properly. Because your father Ismail salam was very good at it. The hadith is in Bukhari. Right? The second thing is that Ismail salam, according to some narrations, is also referred to as the first person to ever ride a horse. The hadith you can find in Nasa'i, he narrates from the narrations of Anas bin Malik an, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded Ibrahim salam and Ismail salam to build the Kaaba, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, to, he said to them, that I will grant you both a, uh, a special treasure. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands Ismail salam to open the treasure. And that treasure he's referring to, which will be given to him. And Ismail salam says, Ya Allah, what is this treasure? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to him, the horses. And the horses at that time were untamed. They were wild animals, like other wild animals. No one had ever uh, ridden them before. So then... And he then makes dua to Allah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gives him control over the animal. Allah then inspired him with the dua. He then reads the dua, and when he makes the dua, the, 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 the animals in the area gather together, and he then rides the horse. And the Prophet loved horses abundantly, he loved them a lot. So, this is an opinion, not the only opinion. Some, some scholars say that, you know, he. Uh, mastered the skill of riding horses as opposed to just being the first first person to ever ride a horse. Horses had been used for, for generations, but they say he had mastered it. While other scholars say, no, he was the first person to ride a horse. Regardless, this is another thing we learned. And the third narration I want to share with you is the Prophet ﷺ tells us a very beautiful dua. And um, the hadith can be found in Imam Abu Dawood sunan. For those of you who have children, for those of you who have children, you should make a habit of reading this dua on your kids every morning. The Prophet ﷺ said, he's teaching the companions, whoever reads this dua, their children will be protected from any evil. Their children will be protected from the evil eye that day as well. The dua is, أعوذ بكلمات الله التامة من كل الشيطان وهامة ومن كل عين لامة Oh Allah, I seek refuge for you. For, uh, I, oh Allah, I seek uh, refuge in you uh, from every devil and every poisonous thing, and from a, from every ev, ev, from every evil eye which influences. So he's seeking du'a from shaitan, 
any hamma is a um, anything that's poisonous that can kill a person, and fi kulli ainin lama and every evil eye which influences. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, after he used to read this du'a on his grandsons Hassan and Hussein, it was his practice. He would call the two and read the du'a regularly. And the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam would then say that your father Ibrahim alaihi salam used to make the same du'a for his two sons Ismail and Ishaq. Right, so this is a dua that was read Ismail alayhi salam upon him when he was a child. We find this reference in the hadith as well. Ismail alayhi salam passes away at the age of 163. Some scholars say that he is buried in Al-Quds, in the, in the, in the, near uh, where his father is buried. And other scholars hold the opinion that, actually, and this is the majority of Muslim scholars hold the opinion, he is buried in Mecca, somewhere near the Kaaba, where near the Kaaba, um, they, showed, they hold different opinions, some say by Safa, some say by Marwa, some, multiple opinions are there, some say by the Zamzam itself, and a great group of scholars say that he's actually buried in the Hatim, as I mentioned earlier on. We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses this gathering, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to learn from the beautiful lessons and uh, stories from Ismail alayhi salam and his mother Hajar. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.